What's up, Spellsingers? My name is Gary and John Wells. I'm Drew Flynn. And I'm Corey Janabagi. And this is Untap, Upkeep, Drink. Beer Up. How's it going, guys? Today, we are going to be talking about some of the products we've neglected in the recent months. It turns out we tried to start a Commander series, and then there's way too much other stuff to talk about. And we finally had an opportunity to do it again, and this time we decided we have to have all three people on it. Yeah, so for the first time... Welcome our special (laughs) guest... I'm here, guys. We're doing Commander 2014. So these are the pre-constructed decks that Watsi released following their invention of the pre-cons in 2011. So they did 2011, 2012 was Commander Arsenal, then they had 2013, and then 2014 was a special year because these are all monocolored decks. And we kind of hinted that we were going to talk about this stuff ages ago when we talked about the Color Wheel series, so we're finally... Owning up to that. And with that, we are going to condense all of these decks down into one episode. So it is going to be a longer episode, but hopefully it's less time spent on these as, as is reasonable. Yeah, we, we kind of get it. You can look them up. They are an older product, but it's still worth talking about the evolution of these products as a whole. Yeah, I think they are significant in some ways, and there's definitely some goodies in these decks. Yeah, yeah these decks are really good about uh, like epitomizing what each color does. And I think that that's important in and of itself in Commander as well as just kind of like having a pre-constructed deck that uses uh, Planeswalkers as commanders, which is kind of a like a curveball for a lot of people, and it's something that is still interesting to talk about now. It was a game changer back in the day, and people were like, oh, what is going on? This is broken, this, this is OP. Yeah, it, it's essentially going against some of the rules of commander, and so it was a big deal, and now we've repeated that, and we all have opinions, but this was the first set to do it. Yep. And so before we get into all of that, obviously we have our beers, but I want to remind you guys to check us out on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter. Uh, the discussion is wonderful. We like hearing the comments, the messages, but also we're gearing up to really take over the YouTube universe. We're pitching we're pitching all the, the gear to the crew to try and figure out video, but really as much engagement as we can get on YouTube, the better. I think that's probably going to end up being our hub since we're going to try and do video and show you guys all these cards. Not to say we're going to ignore all of the like actual just podcast listeners. Believe me when I tell you we've stressed over the details of how to make sure this podcast stays a great podcast and becomes a good YouTube channel so much that it's almost <laughs> unreasonable. It's why it's taken us so long. Yeah, but we're, we're really trying to do both things really well. And to that effect, we have a survey that we'd like you guys to fill out. Yeah. Uh, just kind of what you guys want from us. Um, part of that is with the format of the episodes. Uh, we're about to dive into these beers and is that something that you guys want us to do at the beginning of the episode, middle episode? Uh, we kind of break it up to where we have a first initial novel impression of the beers and then talk about you know the magic content and then jump back into the beers again to kind of see how they've developed and changed and whether or not our opinions have changed on them. And I think that that's important, but if that's not what is interesting to everyone, then that's something that we kind of want to know. Like, what do you guys want to hear, see? Like, give us your feedback. Yeah, we, we're trying to do this for the viewers, so we want to know how you guys would like this show to go. That survey is going to be in the show notes on the podcast and on YouTube. Uh, it's super quick. It's only 10 questions, yeah, it's, so it's not like it's going to take it. you a while, but it is going to give us some really good information on how we move forward. So. Yeah, everything, every little bit helps, guys. Yeah. And if there's something that you think you know we didn't cover on that survey, this was meant to be just like a quick and dirty, just give us raw information, but if you think there's something else that you want us to, to help change or to contribute to like send us a message let us know like your opinion matters like we have a i would say fair number of viewers at this point compared to where we were a year ago 100 percent right? uh, oh, yeah. zero is you know less than everything <laughs> you know we are growing and your you will help shape what this podcast and what our videos look like going forward so we do take your criticism very seriously um, as well as just you know suggestions and the uh, compliments and the comments that you've given us and so we're trying to provide an avenue for you to like feel like you know it matters because it, it does. It's just hard for a lot of people, I think, to see that. And so this is kind of our our way to bring that to the to the audience. That being said, we are all chomping at the bit to get to these beers. It's the only reason I'm here, guys. <laughs> that's why <laughs> that's we get. Good. That's how we get Corey to come. <laughs> I was like, wait, did you say free beers? Okay. Yeah. Uh, he, he didn't know we were doing a podcast till episode twelve. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> we're drinking yeah, beers. Yeah, I you guys are getting paid yeah. for this. <laughs> I mean, 
No. <laughs> <laughs> so, first one is the one, I think it's the last of the Oregon beers that I brought back from almost like nine months ago. And so, uh, this is the Three Creeks Brewing Company's Five Pine Chocolate Porter. So, these guys are out of Sisters, Oregon, which... It's a weird town name. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's just across the street from Brothers, but it's... <laughs> okay, uh, okay. Uh, but no, Three Creeks uh, is a pretty solid brewery. I had a couple of... Uh, of theirs when I was in Oregon. Didn't actually get to visit the brewery itself, um, but I was really excited to bring this on the show because, I mean, obviously I love porters and this is like the perfect time of year to drink them, but Garyan was really starting to get into darker beers, specifically uh, heavier interest in porters than stouts. And so at the time I was like, this is going to be perfect for the show. And lo and behold, you're the one drinking it. Oh, I'm not going to like <laughs> just let a porter sit out there and just not, not be the one to drink it. So on the nose, kind of uh, a little bit malty, sweet, um, Oddly alcoholic, which is kind of weird because it's only six point two percent. IBUs is like just like us. <laughs> uh, that hurts. Uh, it kind of has that bitterness as well from from the, like roasted malt. Uh, and it's sitting at forty IBU, so there is a decent amount of hop characteristics to it. Um, but I feel that the hops really comes in more as the earthy kind of flavors than the actual like bitter flavors that we get out of hops. Um, but it's really pretty nice. I think just nailing it down to a chocolate porter is kind of where they're at. Yeah, just on the nose, it smells just like chocolate and exactly how a porter would smell. I'm not getting a lot of alcohol, so that's interesting that you said that there was in the taste. It is jet black. Cannot see through this. Yeah, I mean, we only have a little bit left after Corey spilled it all over the table, but... <laughs> yeah, check that video out right here. It is incredibly bitter. It is a lot more bitter than I thought it was going to be... <clears throat> And it's interesting because it is that hop bitter, not that uh, chocolate bitter. Yeah, like there's I like a little bit of chocolate bitter, but like, yeah. But you can definitely taste the alcohol. Yeah, which is surprising. I mean, obviously this has been sitting around for, I don't know, eight months or something like that. So it has been a while since I got it. And perhaps that's, you know, uh, changed the characteristics of the, the flavor palette that you have. Yeah, but uh, you definitely get all of that malty, just roasted goodness. And then the chocolate is right in the middle and then just fades out into some hops. That's a really solid beer. Yeah, it's got that lingering bitter from the hops, but it's still got like a classic round porter taste. Yeah. It's a good beer. Super smooth. All right, the next one we got, Corey, I literally got because of the the name in the can. It <laughs> looks pretty dope. Yeah, you guys got to check out. I was looking at some other beers that these guys do, and their can art is awesome. Yeah, always 10 out of 10. It's Illuminated Brew Works, and they are out of Illinois, and this one is the Junior Astronaut Juice. So this is a double dry hopped IPA, 6% alcohol. I could not find any IBUs on any website, which is super weird, because especially with IPAs, you'd think that they would emphasize IBUs. But So we just put 20,000 IBUs, so... <laughs> yeah. It was at least over 9,000. Matt 000. checks out. So right off the bat, it's... Just smells like your standard juicy. It's very, very citrusy. It's got a, a beautiful orange amber color. You can't see through it. Super hazy. But on the flavor, you do have a lot of those citrus notes. It's very, very mellow. But maybe that's just because I was drinking that chocolate stout. Chocolate porter. It's nowhere near as bitter as I thought it would be for a, a, a dry hopped IPA. But it's so smooth. Usually when you hear a uh, dry hopped, it's at the very, very end and it's super, super potent. Like you just get hit with hops, but this was like the most chill hops you've ever had. <laughs> yeah. Dry hops really add to the aromatic qualities of the beer more than the actual flavor, but it's super good. It's That is really good. It's, it's really refreshing. Really, really hoppy, but not really bitter, which is weird. It is kind of leafy, like a vegetation. Nice vegetable. Uh, yeah, but it's, Fresh and crisp, all those things. It's got some citrus to it. It's definitely a refreshing, easy to drink beer. It's overly hopped for my taste. I don't think I'd have a bunch of them because I'm not an IPA guy, but it's nowhere near as bitter as some of the IPAs that I've really cringed at. That's way drink, way more drinkable than just a standard double IPA. Yeah, smell is incredible. It is like beautifully dry hopped. You get all of like that hop aroma without any yeah. like the, the negative kind of uh, dry, uh, bitterness to it. You kind of get out of some, uh, like overly hopped beers. Um, the flavor is super nice. The smoothness of it's it. Like, so it's so good. It's like, it's both smooth and crisp, which is a weird combination. Cause I feel like smooth beers generally kind of like fade out, but this one has like a really nice yeah, it's, finish. It's got like a bite, but in a good way. 
and it does have some of that, you know, like classic hot bitterness, but it's not like grating, you know, it's kind of just like, but it totally tastes just fresh. Yeah. Yeah. It's super good. Okay. Garen, what do you got? Uh, this is the North coast brewing company prankster spelled with a Q mm. Belgian style golden ale. It's sitting at 7.6% alcohol, which clocks this golden ale in at the (laughs) highest ABV of all three of our beers, which is weird. Uh, But we've got 20 IBUs. It's a little, little bit hazy through through the glass looking at it. Mm. Oh, yeah. That's my kind of beer. Oh, yeah. That's good. It's just classic beer flavors. You know what I mean? Like that malty kind of alcohol beer. There's no weird off characteristics to it. There's not a lot of hop, just fresh, slightly citrusy maybe, but not like a, it's not fruity. You know what I mean? It's just got like a little bit of tart. So on the nose, definitely like a Belgian style yeast. That's kind of got that funkiness, a little bit earthy on the smell. Yeah. I mean, the, the, the flavor definitely matches up with Gary saying, but again, it has that kind of European flair, I guess is kind of how I've been describing it recently. It has the like yeast component that's a bit stronger than what American beers have. Yeah, it's not like a Coors Light. No, I don't mean American generics. I mean just American beers in general don't have that much yeast component to it. Like a lot of it is focused on the malt and the hops, and the yeast is just kind of there as like a subtle thing. Whereas this, the yeast flavors actually come out really strong, but not in a bad way. Almost like a wild yeasting kind of feel. Yeah, it's just like you'd expect with anything Belgian. It does have some funk. Yep. Just right on those and in the in the taste. And it, it is super sweet, super drinkable. That's that good stuff. You can definitely taste the alcohol. Yeah, it's good shit. So with this, of course, I want to remind you guys to drink responsibly if you're drinking along with us. We want you to be safe out there. Um, yeah, let's get into it. All right, C14. So obviously we've already talked about the fact that these five decks were each monocolored decks and that was unique that was the first time that Watsy had done that so that was unique when when it came out but it's also unique that all of the commanders were planeswalkers this is the first time we've had that from Watsy to be even allowed and so they did a really good job of taking these planeswalkers and kind of literally giving us a poster sign of this is what this deck wants to do um, so obviously it was unique and people wanted to try that out but also I think it was probably good for newer players as a jumping on point because they really were given like, hey, take this deck and do these things. Um, so the first thing we're going to talk about is actually what each of these decks wants to do. Yeah, so this is just like the mini, mini recap of the color wheels and just sort of what these decks and Planeswalkers encompass and stand for. Yeah, we'll actually get into the specifics of the cards. But just in general, so for looking at the, the white deck, right? got tokens artifacts and equipment matter um and it's got like i wouldn't say like a heavy emphasis on board wipes but it really shows how white has this very kind of specific aptitude for doing board wipes well yeah i think white has the most board wipes out of any other color and generally they need it yeah generally the most efficient way to do yeah. it yeah so. um so some of the board wipes you know make tokens there's literally like two i think in the deck that do so um so blue in commander obviously very good at card draw that's something that is just going to be there uh the removal, we're going to see you know, heavy removal in pre-cons. That's just how Wizards have been doing. And you see that it's primarily in these bounce spells, especially in the board wipes. Uh, and then they've got like turn into a frog and ways to you know take a commander creature. And I think that these are really heavy, heavily focused on enemy commanders and making them useless. Um, you've got like uh, copy for whatever reason. There's a pretty decent theme of, of copying. Um, morph again. And then just like blue in general has these really big finishers and Again, you see that in this deck. For black, we've got a whole lot of the life matters kind of uh, synergies. So like extort, siphon effects. We've got uh, almost not necessarily a tribal theme, but just a a wealth of demons um, and just the kind of standard trade your life for whatever your resources are that you need. That's something that black just tends to do. And of course, you know, graveyard shit. So black does what black does. Yeah, and I also want to add that they also do a lot of sacrifice stuff, yeah. which is what my friend Peter did with this deck. And it was yeah, I think it's awful a lot of the demon stuff. Yeah, like sacrifice. Yeah, thing. and so the next one we have is red. My man. But it's artifact heavy, artifact removal heavy, 
and then it does have that graveyard shenanigans, but it's mostly just artifacts just moving them back and forth out of different zones and stuff. Yeah, it's not like what Black does with graveyards. Yeah. Specifically, like, trading out one artifact for another. Yeah, and then there's obviously just, like, high damage either through aggro or just, like, burn. And then, of course, we have green, which, again, has this sort of sub-theme of having the tokens. Green has just an insane wealth of ramp spells. Yeah. We've got... When with those tokens, you need to be able to pump them up and have like overrun effects, things that just allows you to swing in for for lethal. And then there's also a pretty decent land sub theme, um, a lot of like landfall triggers, things like that. So mentioned it before, mentioned it again. Let's finally actually talk about the Planeswalker Commanders. So the first one we have is Nahiri, and it's Nahiri the Lithomancer. So it's three white white for a Planeswalker Nahiri. She's a mythic. She comes in with three loyalty counters. She has three abilities. Plus two, put a 1-1 one, one white core soldier creature token onto the battlefield. You may attach any equipment you control to it. So already we've got tokens and equipment just all in one. Tight. Minus two, you may put an equipment card from your hand or graveyard onto the battlefield. More equipment. A little bit of graveyard shenanigans. Minus ten, put a colorless equipment artifact token named Stoneforged Blade onto the battlefield. It has indestructible. Equipped creature gets plus five, plus five, and has double strike. And equip zero. So this is a massive ultimate in that, one, it costs a lot. It's going to take a while to get there. Seriously. Um, two, it has just like a backbreaking effect, right? Like having that is just saying, I'm presenting a huge threat that you are going to have a hard time removing, right? Indestructible, an equip cost of zero. Yeah, you can just throw that on anything that comes out. That's what's crazy. It's not like give one of your creatures this. It's an equipment that'll just stay there that you can use over and she over. She just makes the best sword ever. Yeah. And so the last line of, of text on her, and it's an ability that all of these planeswalkers have, it says, Nahiri the Lithomancer can be your commander. Yep. So it just blank, blank, blank can be your commander. Next one, we have the blue planeswalker. It's Teferi Temporal Arc Mage. Four blue, blue for a five loyalty planeswalker Teferi. Plus one, look at the top two cards of your library. Put one of them into your hand and the other on the bottom of your library. So again... Thing the blue loves to do top deck manipulation yep. and card advantage minus one untap up to four target permanents that's not the most broken ability ever <laughs> I feel that's like Teferi does this shit a lot doesn't he so many so many permanents yep and then minus ten you get an emblem with you may activate loyalty abilities of planeswalkers as you control on any player's turn any time you could cast an instant planeswalkers they are somewhat powerful uh, generally only able to activate them once on your turn uh and it's an emblem. So he's wicked good. I like it. Uh, he might even be top tier. There's a CEDH deck built around him that just abuses his minus one to untap everything you could ever want. Have you ever heard the term Teferi Chain Veil? This is the deck. So next one we have is the Black Commander. So for the Mono Black deck, we've got Obnixilis of the Black Oath. So for his plus two, each opponent loses one life. You gain life equal to the life lost this way. A little underwhelming compared to all of the other abilities we've read thus far. Yeah. Minus two, put a 5-5 five, five black demon creature token with flying onto the battlefield. You lose two life. Minus eight, you get an emblem with pay one and a black, sacrifice a creature. You gain X life and draw X cards where X is the sacrificed creature's power. Not bad. Yeah, I mean, for, for five mana, that's... Pretty decent overall. I mean, like, his plus two is underwhelming, but... It's underwhelming, but it is a plus two instead of a plus one, so technically it takes him up to his ultimate a little quicker. Yeah, well, and his ultimate is lower than what the other two have Yeah, been. So he's for just a more one, middle of the line. For the next one, we've got Doretti Scrap Savant. So it's three and a red for a three loyalty planeswalker, Doretti. Plus two, discard up to two cards and draw that many cards. So that's card draw in red, but you just have to discard stuff. And didn't we say that this deck kind of wants to play with grief a little bit? Yeah. Minus two, sacrifice an artifact. If you do, return target artifact card from your graveyard to the battlefield. So Jeez. that's an easy way to sacrifice a token or some garbage and get, get some, some really good stuff back. Especially if you're throwing it in the bin. Yeah. Minus ten, you get an emblem with whenever an artifact is put into your graveyard from the battlefield, return that card to the battlefield at the beginning of the next end step. Pretty good. Oh, yeah. yeah so like a solid. Doretti's super good. And last but not least, we've got Freylis Lanwar's Fury. She's three green green 
for a three loyalty Planeswalker Fraley's. Plus two, put a 1-1 green elf druid creature token onto the battlefield with tap and add one green mana to your mana pool. Negative two, destroy target artifact or enchantment. This is a very green thing. Always relevant in yep. EDH. And minus six, draw a card for each green creature you control. She's just dumping them out. She's <laughs> pooping out green one ones, and then you get to draw them cards. So I like that a lot too. Um, we also have just a lot more cycles. Uh, so we'll kind of just summarize these ones. So they had legendary creatures uh, that were from the history of magic that hadn't yet had cards. We had Jazal Goldmane, which is Ajani's brother, uh, and he on his own, pretty pretty solid card, but not the most synergistic with the deck. Uh, we had Stitcher, Grolf, and Ghoulcaller Giza for the blue and black decks, respectively. Again, these were characters that had been talked about uh, in just magic lore. They finally brought to fruition, um, kind of just those zombie sub-themes. Uh, we had Felden of the Third Path, which again, that artifact in red, uh, super dope. And then we had Titania, Protector of Argoth, lands sub-theme. She's insanely strong. She's also just a dope card in general. And then next, we've got legendary creatures that kind of just fit in with the theme of what the deck is doing. So these are kind of, I wouldn't necessarily call them alternative commanders, though that's kind of historically what Watsi does, but they kind of feel like, you know, an extra option that also is synergistic. Uh, we start with Kemba, Ka Regent, uh, one of them one of so, them cat guys. Yeah, she cares about tokens as well as equipment. Solid include. Then we've got Lorthos, the Tide Maker. Uh, blue control. Good and he's a, he's a big boy. Taps everything down. We've also got Drana, Calestria Blood Chief for black. Yeah, um, uh, removal plus just weird like black fire breathing. Yeah, it's yeah, like protection or damage kind of stuff going on. Then we've got Bosch Iron Golem, which is an artifact, so it feels a little weird, but the deck wants artifacts. This is for our red deck. And then we've got my dude, Azuri Renegade Leader. Um he's an elf that likes elves and green likes elves arguably the best elf commander yeah next we have the lieutenant cycle um each one of these cards has the lieutenant ability which whenever you have your commander end them out on the battlefield you have an additional effect yeah so the first one we've got is angelic field marshal and she gives uh creatures you control plus two plus two and vigilance and then we've got the storm church kraken in the blue deck and it gives plus two, plus two, and whenever it becomes blocked, you draw two cards. I'll just ask Hexproof, which is... Yeah, for black, we've got Demon of Wailing Agonies. He also gives plus two, plus two, but also whenever he deals combat damage to a player, that player sacrifices a creature. And next we have Tyrant's Familiar. It's 5-5 five, five Flying Haste Dragon, and it gets plus two, plus two, and has whenever Tyrant's Familiar attacks, it deals seven damage to target creature defending player controls. Very aggressive. And last we have Thunderfoot Baloth, which as long as you have your commander, it gets plus two, plus two, and other creatures you control get plus two, plus two, and have trample. So Just, pretty uh, forever overrun. <laughs> yeah, so pretty pretty dope. Uh, next cycle was the offerings. So we have Benevolent Offering. It's very, very white. Um, so with the offerings, you get two effects uh, that you share each one with a player. So they can be the same player. You can have different players. Uh but you have to basically help your opponent while you're also helping yourself more. So Benevolent Offering, uh, you make spirit tokens, you gain life based on the number of creatures you control, and so you split that up uh, amongst your enemies. Yeah, so all of these cards, they have two abilities, and you can choose different people for each one, but they're repeated between you and whoever you choose. The next one we've got is Intellectual Offering, which sounds very blue already. Uh, You choose an opponent, you and that player draw three cards. Uh, and then the second one is choose an opponent, untap all non-land permanents you control, and they untap all non-land permanents they control. You're just uh, tapping and drawing cards. Untapping. So the next one is Infernal Offering. It's four and a black for sorcery. And the first one is you and whoever you choose each sacrifice creature and draw two cards. And then the next one is you just get to return a creature card from your graveyard to the battlefield. Solid. So the red one is Volcanic Offering. Uh, you get to destroy a target non-basic land, and whoever you choose gets to do so as well. Yeah. And then the other one is you deal seven damage to a target creature you don't control, and then they also uh, choose a target creature you don't control to also do damage to. So you kind of get more of a benefit off of that one because they both have to be creatures that you don't control. Last but not least, we've got Silver and Offering. You hear about this from time to time. 
You and that player put an XX green tree folk creature token onto play. This is an X and a green spell. Uh, and then the second one is you and each play you and that player put X one one green elf creature tokens onto the battlefield. So you get kind of a big fatty and a whole bunch of little dinky dudes. Yeah, so I think this is the only one anybody ever thinks about because it is scalable. So it's good in the beginning of the game and late game. Well, the other ones, they're just a hard mana yeah, cost. They yep. just do what they do. Uh, <clears throat> next one in the cycles that we're going to talk about are the medallions. Uh, the medallions are kind of just insane because ramp is great, but what if you just have to pay less for every spell? And so, Yeah, you uh, explained why this is better than ramp pretty well in a previous episode. Right, so just to kind of summarize that, using, say, like a signet or just something that lets you tap for one, only works for one spell on that turn unless you have some way to untap it. So what if you could do that and just reduce the cost of every spell that you play? And that's what these do. So the Pearl Medallion, and they all cost two generic mana for just artifact, and then Pearl Medallion is the white one, so white spells you cast cost one less to cast. Sapphire Medallion Blue, Jet Medallion Black, Ruby Medallion Red, and Emerald Medallion is green. Yeah, so the next and final cycle we've got are the Diamonds, and... These are similar to the medallions, only they're not as good. <laughs> they are just mana rocks for two mana that just tap for colored mana, which is important. Is helpful, yeah. But the only downside is that they all come in tapped. Yeah, so two mana mana rocks are very good. Yes. But having that downside makes them less abusable, even though in general these are going to be more abusable than what the medallions are. Yeah, these are playable, but they're definitely not the first choices. So those diamonds are named Marble Diamond, Sky Diamond, Charcoal Diamond, Fire Diamond, and Moss Diamond. Nice names. Yeah. Yeah, pretty straight to the pretty point. Simple. All right, guys. Exactly. Now that we've run through kind of the basics and all the cycles that we've got here, I think it's time to revisit them beers. Today, I've been drinking the North Coast Brewing Company Prankster Belgian-style golden ale. At least when you're not spitting it all It's over. a hell of a name if I can get it in my mouth. <laughs> uh, this is a wonderful beer. It will choke you if you inhale the foam, but um, I've enjoyed it. It's really mellow. There's not anything that really sticks out to me as like the dominating flavor. It's just kind of funky, which as you guys know, that's that's exactly how I like it. The tame. dominating flavor is funk. <laughs> yep. Tame, sweet, and funky. <laughs> oh yeah. It's super good. It's very smooth, very sweet. It's gotten a lot less funky from the beginning, but maybe that's just because I've been drinking on this IPA. Yeah. But it's still got that funk. All right. So in comparison, uh, Gary, you said you don't really have the, that dominating flavor. The Three Creeps Brewing has the Five Pine Chocolate Porter that I've been sipping on. This one has the dominating flavor, which is the chocolate. So I think they kind of nailed it on the head there. Uh, I I love this beer. Like This is a perfect porter in that you know exactly what you're getting into. And it is consistent. It is delicious. The one downside is that weird kind of alcoholic flavor that you get out of it. And that's not to say that, you know, that's necessarily a bad thing. It's just a bit odd because uh, it starts to open up more flavors afterwards, especially after drinking uh, Garion's, the North Coast Brewing Prankster. Yeah, it's just a solid, solid porter. It's, it's got, I think it's gotten more chocolatey. I agree. Yeah, I was definitely. just going to say that. <clears throat> I, I do taste the alcohol as a burn, but it kind of blends with like the bitter chocolate. Yeah. So it's. It doesn't taste like, oh, shit, that's a ton of alcohol. You can taste it if you're looking for it, but it it's totally like 70, 75% cacao chocolate. That's what I'm getting. Yeah. And now we got the juicy astronauty space beer. Space yeah, juice. This is the, the junior astronaut juice from Illuminated Brew Works. I know, right? So this is just a super, It's I think it's double dry hopped. It's, a, it's just a super hoppy IPA. But it's just the most like chill hop ever. It's got a lot of citrus notes. It's got great color. It's super smooth. And the aroma is yeah. just killer. Anytime we talk about a tame IPA, it's usually because the hops aren't that prevalent. But this one's not that. It's tame because it's not bitter. But the hops are all you taste. You know what yeah. I mean? It's like hops, 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 tart, fresh hops. But it doesn't linger super long, and it's not like crazy, pucker your tongue bitter. Yeah, and it also is the most like smooth and mellow of these beers, which is weird. And I feel like the 
the Five Pine Chocolate Porter has more like bitter notes that you taste than what the IPA does. Yeah, hundred percent. Beer of the show? I think so. Well, I was just hoping you'd cast a vote. Yes, <laughs> I. So Corey's casting his vote for Junior <laughs> Astronaut Juice, and you? I think I like the Five Pine Chocolate Porter. <laughs> it's pretty good. Uh, the Junior Astronaut Juice is probably my second, which is weird because it's very hoppy. The Belgian. It's good, but it's not. It doesn't stand out to me as like, damn, that is crazy good. You know what I mean? It's just a good beer. Yeah, it is. It's weird to say, but it's kind of one note, and that mm-hmm. one note is funk, and so it's different. But it is. It it hasn't developed. It hasn't changed. It's yeah. it's super solid, but it is kind of just when you think of a Belgian style ale, it is that. That's what you think of. Yeah, this is actually really hard because uh, the Junior Astronaut does a lot of things well, whereas. The Five Pine does its one thing exceptionally. Yeah, that's the thing because I've I've had chocolate porters and I think that's a really good chocolate porter, but I don't think I've had an IPA that's quite like this. That's true. I definitely have, and I think that's kind of where like my judgment comes is that chocolate porters. I I don't think there's very many that are as good as this and that nail down the one flavor that they're going for as well, and so that's kind of where this kind of takes the edge. But the fact that the Junior Astronaut has so many good flavors in general, I think kind of raises it up as well. Uh, and for an IPA like that, I think that, that gives it the edge over the, the porter in this episode. Yeah. Ooh. Bigger That's coming show. from someone who is a chocolate addict. So The double dry hopped India pale ale who from thought? Illuminated <laughs> Brew Works. <laughs> I forgot the name. Right, I, I mean, I'm, I'm, not a, I'm not upset about that. I like that beer too. Yeah. yeah, these are all really good. Let's get back into Das Magique. Yeah, so we just kind of cruised through those last sections because honestly, they weren't very interesting besides the commanders. Yeah, having Planeswalker commanders is like, hey, this is insanely different from everything that has led up to this yeah. point. Everything right? we talk about, you have to kind of put into perspective of this was released in 2014. So your perception of how these looked needs to be, you know, old you, not new you. Yeah. And along that line, like these were very good about demonstrating what the color yeah. wheel yeah. and what the differences between colors was. Right. And I think because of this, people started to realize the power level differences in Commander for what the cards were able to do in those colors. So we've got a little section here that's just sort of our important mentions. These are cards that are either really powerful in general or show up as not necessarily auto-includes, but important in a lot of decks that are focused around that theme. Or just what are essentially just going to be staples, right? Yeah. Like We put Soaring on this list because it's Soaring, duh, right? Commander Sphere as well. Those are cards that I think this is the first time Commander Sphere was printed. And so it's a, I mean, it's basically an auto include. If you want ramp, you want some card draw, Commander Sphere is just a great card. And there's no reason not to play it. Yeah. And it can go in literally every single deck. So those are cards that are like the no duh idea, right? Yeah. And just like you guys just said, it's these, you can consider most of these as just staples in their colors just because they're so good at what they do. In, in that color. In their colors. Because they since they're forced to be monocolored, all these green cards can go in any deck that has green. So prime time? I wish. <laughs> <laughs> if only. You can always try. Yeah, so we already listed Soaring, which goes in every deck. Quite good. <clears throat> but the next one we have is Grave Titan. My favorite Titan. Arguably well, the best Titan behind Prime Time. Yeah. I mean I still Ah, no, every single time I think about the other Titans, I'm just like, no, but that one's also good. They're uh, all so awesome. Uh, Frost Titan being the worst of them. Yeah. Because, I mean, Sun Titan is just insane with, you know, bringing stuff back all the time. But why don't you read Grave Titan real quick and just kind of get into that. So Grave Titan is four black black for six six creature giant with death touch. Whenever Grave Titan enters the battlefield or attacks, put two 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 black zombie creature tokens onto the battlefield. And like we talked about at the top of the episode, Black is really good at graveyard shenanigans and recurring things and sacrificing things and so just making lots of tokens. Oh, that, and they're with doing a substantial stuff. body. Like oh, two, yes. two twos, you just put four power. Like it's a six mana creature that brings 10 power to the table immediately. And it doesn't, it just keeps going. Yeah. Uh, next one we have on there is uh, Flicker Wisp. And that was one that I wanted to include just because of. All He's of the so that, dope. Yeah, all Duh. of the things that 
go around Flicker Wisp. Like, there's a lot of strategies that utilize Flicker Wisp. Um, so when it enters the battlefield, exile another target permanent, return that card to the battlefield under its control at the beginning of the next end step. So if there's so many Flicker shenanigans, and the card Flicker and Flicker Wisp are the reason why, like, that is what we call it. There's yep. blink effects and Flicker effects, and those differentiate. And this is kind of like the, I guess, the iconic uh, creature that. Yeah, this is the embodiment of it. Yeah. Uh, I also put Gift of Estates on here because what is the one thing that White is not good at? Ramp. Nailed it. Dead on the head. Good job, Gary. And you passed this. Quiz. Quiz. <laughs> Unfortunately, this isn't Ramp, but it's close. And it's as close as White, white will take gets. what it can get. Yeah, yeah it's just a little, a little baby land tax. Yeah. yeah. So if an opponent controls more lands than you, search your library for up to three planes cards, reveal them and put them into your hand and shelf your library. The fact that it names planes is super important because it allows you to get dual lands and it also is just a sorcery for one in white so it actually allows you as a, someone playing white to get access to those lands, those colors early which mm-hmm. is super, super important because white just struggles in the early game. The next card we have on here is one that pretty much nobody plays, nobody knows. It shouldn't be <clears throat> on this list, honestly. <laughs> also soaring again. So, <laughs> no, Cyclonic Rift. Everybody knows it's probably going to get banned eventually so fuck that card. It's really good though. <laughs> yeah, I don't know if we need to keep talking about Cyclonic Rift. Nope. It's go to the next one. Staple. Uh, so the next one we have is Black Sun's Zenith. Also, quick. so again, this is one that's on the list, not necessarily because of Black Sun's Zenith itself, but because of the Sun's Zenith cards. It's a really, really strong cycle uh, for the most part, and Black Sun's Zenith is just a different style of board wipe. Yeah, better. Style. It is X black black for a sorcery. Put X minus one minus one counters on each creature. So it doesn't target, which is great for, you know, board wipes in general. Yeah, it gets past indestructible. It gets past hexproof. And they're counters. So even if you don't manage to kill something, you can significantly weaken it, which is tight. Yeah, and then all the Zeniths have this next line of text, which is shuffle Black Sun Zenith or whatever Zenith you're playing into its owner's library. So this is, when we talk about scalability, this is what we're talking about. It's good early game. You could honestly do it for one and make some money moves, and then it gets shuffled back in, draw it later, do it for 10, wipe the board, and then keep going. It's good stuff. Next one we have is Profane Command for X Black Black Sorcery. Choose two. So, again, this is going to be part of another cycle, the command cycle. Obviously, there's one that's going to be better than the rest of them. Yeah. Surprise, surprise. What color is it? Blue. There it is. The winner is Corey. Uh, it's so, always blue. Bro. It's always blue. <laughs> so, in the cycle, uh, you get to choose two, and they'll have four effects. So, this one is Target Player Loses X Life. Return target creature card with converted mana cost X or less from your graveyard to the battlefield. Target creature gets minus X minus X until end of turn. Or up to X target creatures gain fear until end of turn. Oh, this card's good. So this one, legitimately a very solid card. It can help finish a game. It can help just get rid of whatever the annoying creature is. Uh, obviously having you know a reanimator effect is just good in general. And then sometimes you just kill somebody. Yeah, um... Yeah, just like with scalability, especially in Commander, you want variants or options on every card you play since you can only have one of. Yeah, so modal cards like this. Yeah, just modal. That's the word I was looking for. The modal cards are just like super, super great to have. And the fact that it can do all of these different things in one color is just exceptional. Yeah. Um, speaking of just, you know, things that one color does exceptionally, this is not exactly the fit for it. <laughs> this is one of the this few the ways color. that red can get rid of enchantments. Yeah. And it can't even get rid of them. <laughs> yeah. So, Chaos Warp, I think we've probably talked about it a dozen times at least on this Be- podcast. Probably because it is one of the few ways red can interact with a lot of things. Yeah. Yeah. So, Chaos Warp's two in a red. The owner of Target Permanent shuffles it into their library, then reveals the top card of their library. If it's a permanent card, they put it onto the battlefield. So the fact that it's permanent matters so much because you can get rid of Planeswalkers, yep. you can get rid of enchantments, which Red literally That's cannot not, do, yeah. and you can just get rid of anything you want. It's like one of the strictest color things in Magic from I, the history. I, like I just want him to break it. Also in the Red deck, we had a Dual Caster Mage, which is a card that I love. Uh, so it's just Human Wizard 2-2, two, two, Flash, when Dual Caster Mage enters the battlefield, Copy target instant or sorcery spell. Let me choose new targets for those copies. Uh, that's not uh, spells that you control, which is, I think, something that's really important. Someone wants to, you know, fuck on you. And, 
Yeah, no one's ever expecting a fork or a copy spell. Everyone's and, expecting counter, but yeah. never the, oh, I'm, I want to play that too. <laughs> you know what's great though, is that I love playing Dual Caster Mage as a counter spell. Oh yeah. Like That's, someone tries to counter your the shit most and you just satisfying just thing. Not today. So I really wanted to like emphasize that one. Next up, we got Faithless Looting. You hear about this a lot. One mana, four, draw two cards. Discard two cards. With flashback. Two in a red. Yeah. yeah, this is a staple. This is about as staple as you can get. Yeah, and I think the biggest thing is that red likes to discard two cards and draw two cards, or discard a card, draw a card. This reverses that, so you at least get to draw and make the decision after that. Plus, it has flashback. It's just the best way that red can do this effect. Yeah, because this is looting not rummaging. Right. Rummaging I, is what we usually get in mono red or yeah. just red. Yeah. The fact that we actually get looting in red was just huge. And I mean, this is one of my favorite cards of all time. Yeah. Well, and it, it's the quintessential staple, quote unquote. Like you can call like Kodama's Reach or Cultivate, but there's so many of those that you can kind of interchange some of them depending but on how you want them. one is an example, right? Every single time. Right. But I'm just saying like those ones, technically none of them specifically are a staple because depending on how you're running your green, maybe you change them up. This yeah, one, sure. if you're running red, this is literally the best way and cheapest way to do it. So you always put this in the deck because yeah, it does exactly about. what you need at the cheapest rate. Yeah. And one more that we didn't actually put on here, but I think this was the first printing of it uh, in a commander set anyways, was Solemn Simulacrum. Oh, so dope. Enters the battlefield, you ramp. It dies, you draw a card. It's also just a two Two things body. that red just can't do, yeah. basically. So. so having it in the artifact deck that cares about the graveyard, cares about sacrificing mm-hmm. artifacts, bringing them back, I mean... Works out. As Corey likes to say, banger alert. Yeah, they made some money moves. <laughs> Next one we have is Priest of Titania, which is a what we refer to as a common mythic. It is one in a green for a 1-1 one, one elf druid creature. Tap it and add green to your mana pool for each elf on the battlefield. Uh, wow. Pretty <laughs> pretty okay. It is uh, on its own. It's just a little Llanowar Elves, but when it's not, it's... This thing's regular tapping for 5, 10 yeah. mana. It's so and easy to make Elves. always some way to in those decks it. to untap yeah. it. And, and just, the artwork's dope, which oh, yeah, is yeah. also important. Yeah, I mean... This card's just great. Yeah, and I, I wouldn't say this is a green staple, but this is... The one of the most staple elf cards, yeah, up there with Land of Elves. Yeah, Priest of Titania is one of the like amusing ones to me because in elf ball styles, you have to spend a decent amount to get to your finisher, like Crater Hope or something like that. Yeah, and by doing that, unless you have a way to untap your shit, then you, you only have like so many stuff, yeah, yeah. To, that would get buffed. So, Priest of Titania says. Let me take it. I'll this, take I will the eight. Do, I will, all of it. Yeah, <laughs> I will put the team on my back so you guys can go kill everyone. So next one is just one of my favorite cards, Song of the Dryad. So for two and a green, remove target command from the game. That's basically what it reads. But really, you enchant a creature, and that creature becomes a forest. It's enchant permanent. Well, so you can do it on the Planeswalkers. Yeah, which I think was super important for this set in general that you actually have good Planeswalker removal that wasn't just, I have a creature that can attack. Yeah, because usually you'd see things like this, that uh, things lose their creature types or just become another yeah. thing, but it's only on creatures. And so the fact that this is a permanent, just like with Chaos Warp, you can just get rid of whatever you need to get rid of. Yeah, it's also an enchantment, so it's insanely hard to remove. And that's yeah. why when we're talking about Freilis, having that minus two to get rid of enchantment or permanent is such a relevant ability in Commander is because artifacts and enchantments are difficult to interact with. So having something like this, especially as someone who plays a shitload of enchantments, like having that, and usually it is used on a creature, and it's kind of like where my slip-up is, is that I always use this as commander removal. Is like the yeah, kind of that is usually the best way to But it turns out, you know, also being able to destroy, sorry, to not destroy, but, you know, make useless a Planeswalker is such an like ridiculously powerful ability. It's just one of those things where some people look at it and like, oh, but you're helping to ramp your opponent. You know, you're giving them... It's like, so no. So what? Path to exile? Yeah. Yeah, it's like if I path to exile your commander and you couldn't put it in the command zone. It's just gone. It yeah, stays way, in exile. Yeah, it's way worse. <laughs> yeah. So I'm a fan. Huge fan. Yeah, I think Huge. this one needs a reprint. Uh, so let's talk Let's talk shop. Um, this was a, a pretty dope set as far as commander is concerned, right? Having the monocolor decks that really emphasized what those colors did. Uh, reasonably balanced, like... Yeah. In, in a vacuum, just those ones together. Uh, a lot of good things coming around. Uh, white actually getting some decent ways to compete 
in the early game and in the developing stages of the game. And then just that massive token synergy with ways to make that go the next step. Um, Red, having these artifact synergies that were actually integrated with the graveyard and that sort of thing. Having Planeswalker commanders in general, just kind of insane. What is the comparative power level of this set versus... First, let's just look at the previous sets, right? Commander 2013, we'll ignore Arsenal because it wasn't a real set. And then 2011, right? 2011, pretty cool. 2013, not bad. 2014? Yeah, I was going to say leading up to 2014, I think these were cool. I think not only did they showcase the color wheel really well and how to solve problems in those colors... Because I think that's probably what a lot of people had trouble with. I mean, there's obviously brilliant deck builders, but for a new person getting into EDH, if they want to do a monocolor deck, it is kind of hard. So I think this showcases a way to solve a lot of the problems that each of these colors has. Um, obviously, from 2015 and beyond, these are going to look different. Um, but like you said, in a vacuum, where they were when they happened, I think they're pretty cool. I, I really like the fact that they're synergistic. You can kind of pick your play style. Like, I'm playing the green deck, you know? Yeah, and with that, I think it's amusing that so far these are, like, the most synergistic decks that had come from Commander. I mean... For sure. They're, I mean, it's weird that there's, like, such a generic theme to them and also still that pretty solid synergy going on. Yeah, I think just being monocolored, like we've talked about, just helps them stay focused. Because you can look at the other earlier sets, and it's a, like two or three decks just yeah. mishmashed together. It's almost like they gave you the option to try and do this or that. And yeah. they kind of tried to do that with bringing in like, these historical figures. Like, yeah. You look at the, the blue deck, and it's like, hey, you want to play with your graveyard and something? It's just like, well, no, no, not, just on tap stuff. <laughs> really, yeah, I just want to but do like, I think big power because you're limited to, good. Yeah, I think because you're limited to only blue cards, though, the rest of the deck couldn't stray too far. You know what I mean? Like, right. there's a couple things that you'd probably swap out and be like, well, eh, that's not what I want. Right, but look at, like, the the Haleva deck with Nekusar, right? Like, two very different styles of play. Yeah. But it's like, hey, let's also try and support Nekusar and have some, like, card draw and stuff like that. And it's just like, yeah, you want that, but not in the same way that Haleva wants all of her shit. Yeah, and like, if you're playing Teferi, you're just playing blue good stuff. If yeah. you're playing Fraley's, it's just green good stuff. Like, you yeah. can't get crazier than that. I do like, though, that they did have those on-theme legendaries that you could, if you're yeah. like, okay, Planeswalkers... Uh, Let's say that they're mildly frustrating, right? To play in a command zone, because it's, sorry, to play from the command zone, because planeswalkers are frustratingly difficult to kill sometimes. And if the board's not working together, then they just sit forever. They kick up any damage that you do and they're still ticking up and they're surviving is just wasted damage that you could be you know, redirected elsewhere. So it's just kind of like, is having the commanders in the command zone worth it? Is that something that is something should be repeated? Obviously it was. Um, yep. regardless of public opinion on that, uh, I don't know, is it like, is it too far? Yeah, I think they just, they slow down games just so much because instead of killing the, your opponent, you have to take time and kill them. And I think that's actually what the, the black deck is best at because it makes flyers and big flyers. It's really good at getting rid of all the other planeswalkers and keeping them in check. But as the red player, like you kind of get sorted into you're the one who has to take care of this we'll take care of you know other threats which <sighs> yeah I think like red it, deck has the dragon they, shit demons just how we that. said that they're focused I think they're also limited yeah. by that and I don't think I like planeswalkers I don't like them as commanders agreed I think that my biggest issue is that there's an uneven distribution of what the ultimates are yeah and having Let's just use Teferi's because it's the most broken, right? If you get that emblem, it is an emblem, which means that every time you next cast Teferi, it's benefiting off of that. Oh, yeah, you can just keep chaining it and just going off. Right, and same with Nahiri's, right? Like, you can ultimate at 10 and still be able to cast her and get continual benefits off of what's going on there, right? And that's stupidly powerful. Like, an emblem that is that uneven as Teferi's is, when compared to the rest of the, the Planeswalker's uh, abilities. like If they all had emblems, it might be a little bit different because then their ultimate really continually impacts the board in a similar way. But something that's just as backbreaking as having an emblem that makes it so the next time you cast your commander, it's just better. Yeah, I think 
the blue deck is, surprise, surprise, way better than the other ones. And so in that regard, they weren't balanced as well as in uh, sets that would come after it. But they're they're trying. They're working on it. And so I, I think it's overall it's an okay like balance of what they, they had going. They tried their best. They had, yeah. they had some, some good cards in there. They just gave most of the good ones to blue. Yeah, playing against even one person who's playing like a super friends kind of thing and they pop out a couple planeswalkers, it feels like, oh my God, this is one of these games. And if everybody has that capability, I, I've never played these decks in a vacuum together with, with each other, but I just can't imagine that the games would be very exciting. You know, they do look like they do a lot of fun stuff. I think if you swapped out the commanders with stuff that, with some legendary creatures that did similar things, it would be fun. They include one. In each of these decks. Except I, I think that's the way that they should be played, just for better gameplay. But So you're saying that Planeswalker Commander's not a great thing. Not fun. Uh, obviously, the next question was just to be, is it something that they should repeat? I mean, they already did. Do you think that that has impacted the game in a similar way? I think the when they went back to Planeswalker Commander's, they didn't balance them as much, but they opened up new strategies for people in different ways. Like if you just look at Jund, Windgrace, like lands matter stuff, or Windgrace is powerful. Yeah. Windgrace is super good. Or um just Amanatu, just Esper Bounce. Like that's something It wasn't just bounce though. It was like top was deck like manipulation. Top deck, yeah. It was super they were they were very interesting cards. I just I just don't like them in the command zone. Just yeah. Yeah. because of all the reasons that we've talked about. They just slow down games. They just they I, w- I wouldn't say they bloat the game up, but that's kind of what they do. They just yeah, I think that's actually a really good description of it yeah, because it's, just, it's not that they... It's hard to say they don't impact it negatively because there's obviously all the things we've talked about, but they just kind of make a game feel way more than it is. Yeah, because they can do so much and they're just a pain in the ass to kill. You just have to go out of your way just enough. Yeah, and that slows the game down. Yeah. So should that then limit playgroups and what people do uh, as far as like allowing the non-commander planeswalkers, the ones that don't specifically say they can be used as planeswalkers, uh, is there like, do you guys think that either personally or just in general for commander that people should not allow those cards that say those cards that don't say rather uh, that they can't be used as a planeswalker as commander to be used in the command zone? Like if you were to take just a random planeswalker and say I'm building the deck around it. That's a hard one because I think my mentality has always been like let your dudes do what they want to do. Even if you don't like it, just like harbor that in your soul. (laughs) And just be like, ah, fuck this. So you're saying let it fester and build until you explode. Yes. Uh, No, I mean, it's always just been like if you don't like it, it's probably only going to be one game. Right. If if it comes to that point, One you can always excruciatingly long. Yeah, four or five hour game. You can always tell that person like, hey, that wasn't super fun. Can super we only friends. can we only play that like once or twice a night or whatever? You know, I think that works out a lot with more than just planeswalker decks. But I can definitely see if a play group is like really leaning on it, and a lot of people are doing it in your play group. I can see it being a problem. But I mean, it, the playgroup thing, like we've talked about, your meta, like it's so personal. You know what I mean? If you like playing like that and all your buddies like playing like that, then fuck it, man. You got 10 hours to play two commander games, go do it. But I, I don't I don't necessarily think that commander as a whole should adopt all planeswalkers as no, no, I'm commanders. Saying, yeah. yeah, I'm just saying. Like, do you think the playgroup should focus down and limit it? I mean, obviously with our playgroup, it's not necessarily every, anything goes, but we definitely have like, there's a line you shall not cross. Land destruction? Is that what it is? Unfortunately, yes. Um, <laughs> Correct. I've been waiting. <laughs> I, I'm okay with Planeswalkers as commanders. I personally don't like it. I don't think it's very fun to play with or against. But, I mean, they're not like crazy broken. Yeah, or, it's not or so most of out them there aren't. that it's unbeatable. It's really when there's four of them that it's yeah, really it's, unbearable. It's just the the chunk of time that you yeah. can't ever get back. <laughs> yeah. I mean, realistically, yeah. And that's kind of where my stance is, is that, sure, fine, try it once. Like, definitely, like, I'm always going to try things at least once, right? Whether it be beer or magic. Like, I won't say no unless it really impacts how it affects everyone. And playing in a game with just two Planeswalker Commanders 
drags it out so much. Like even if it's just a half an hour, like you don't realize how much you can do in a half an hour until you're sitting there waiting on a game to finish that you feel should have been over already. Well, here's what I'll say. And maybe this will change our perspectives. I think these commanders or these planeswalkers as commanders are okay, right? They, they're they hard. Four out of five. Four out of five. They're, they're okay as commanders only because they're six mana, right? Five, when people six, start yeah. using all commanders and they start lowering that down to four and three mana commander, uh, planeswalkers that could be used as commanders that just never fucking go away. I could see that as being like just too, not even brutal. I wanted to say brutal, but it's not brutal. It's not overpowered. It's just annoying and like grinding and grating on your gameplay. Three mana to fairy. Yeah, fuck that guy. Like, can you imagine? <laughs> or Oko. Like, Oko's technically not banned in commander, so... You know, that could be your commander if you if you allow that. I don't know that Oko is the most powerful thing in a four-player, five-player format, but still, I, I think depending on which Planeswalkers you use, it could make it even more annoying. So, I don't know. I mean, I, I'm not really for limiting a playgroup just because you don't like it, but if everybody at the table except the one dude who built the Planeswalker deck knows that it's too long and annoying, then that's the time that you as a group should sit down and just be like, yo, Corey, listen... Uh, okay, next question. Last question. Was this Commander 2014 a successful product? And I guess tied into that. Is this something that Wizards should not Revisit? replicate? Kind of, but like, is it something that they should kind of mirror as time goes on? I would love if they went back to monocolor decks and just just dove deep into like staples. And that's all the deck was. In like the, a synergistic, fun way, yeah. you know. But overall, I think this, I think this did succeed in some ways, and it didn't do as much as a lot of people wanted thing or wanted wizards to do in other ways. I think having planeswalkers that we can finally play as our commander—that's cool. Whether you like it or not, it's different. Yeah, it's weird that like the thing that was the most hype about the set ended up being the most frustrating part yeah. about it. Yeah, people didn't know. <laughs> what they wanted until they got in there like oh yeah because nobody could have guessed how shitty it would have been until they try it you know yeah i think just having good reprints and having those cards that we hadn't gotten yet i think that's a solid solid plus but the fact that some of these decks are way underpowered compared to their counterparts it's upsetting and it it doesn't feel fun so i think they dropped the ball in that regard they I mean, we could talk about Teferi all we want, but yeah. Blue is just, they made it too good. <laughs> so I think i think overall, it's okay. Yeah, I don't know exactly what the uh, numbers of units sold were, so I don't know if we can definitively call it a success or not. I'm yeah. sure they did okay since they continued to go. And they continued to go up in price, but I mean, limited yeah. stock is limited stock, right? But as far as like, do I like the product? Should they do it more? I don't think they should do the Planeswalkers. I think the community as a whole kind of decided that wasn't as... Wasn't a good idea. Yeah, I think the but, the first round we were like, okay, let's let's get some more. Yeah. And then we got the second batch and we're like, okay, okay, never mind, is, never mind. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Good. I think the three colored planeswalker commanders was just kind of. It seemed like it was going to be cool. Again, it was just like, okay, you know, it's not as limited. It's not like, oh, this is obviously going to have you know its own thing. But like, even as someone who has a couple of those decks, it's like, no, I'm not playing the planeswalkers, the commander, because it is unfun. It yeah. just like. I know. Slow, slow to win. Slow to like. Yeah, I think it might also be the fact that they kind of screwed everyone over True. reprint wise with those True. decks. It just, it might just soured everything about it. Yeah. Yeah. I think it would be really cool if they did another monocolored series, though, especially if they almost revisit some of the lesser known mechanics for that uh, color. You know what I mean? Where it's not like, oh, green's going to be elfs and trample. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like if they did yeah, some kind of out there shit where you're like, oh, damn, and printed like a new legendary that you're like, damn, this guy is This guy, yeah, anti-flying and land destruction. <laughs> yeah. <Okay>. Let's do <laughs> it. <laughs> yeah. I, I mean, I think something like that would be really cool. I, I would certainly buy something like that, yeah. So we all agree, mostly successful, but some major drawbacks. Not our favorite. Yeah, I think overall, we all kind of sit on the same spectrum. Watsy, if you're listening, let's do another uh, monocolored series and try and make it a little different. But uh, thank you guys for listening. I think that kind of wraps up the discussion on the monocolored C14 decks. Hopefully, we will get around to the C15, 16, 17 here (laughs) sometime in the next year. Yeah, those are all decks that we bought 
we played. Yeah, we played these against. are more we familiar. A lot more hands-on time with all of those. They're more decks. Uh, relevant to what we're doing in this day and age. Unfortunately, this year is going to be a lot of stuff going on release-wise. So Which we're is part of why in. we're trying to catch up so yeah. we can actually use this as a reference for you know the future. The new stuff coming out. Yeah. But for now, thank you for listening. As always, you know we really do appreciate the feedback. Uh, like we said at the beginning of the show. We do have that survey if you can go fill that out. Um, It'll literally take you like a minute and a half if you're kind of quick. It's 10 questions. So stay tuned for all that. Hopefully we are uh, timely on all those episodes. And as we like to say on this podcast, have fun and enjoy them beers. beers.